0: This is the Darren Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. I've been interviewing musicians, comedians, and all sorts of entertainers for almost 20 years. Joan Rivers, Flavor Flav, Paris Hilton, members of Guns N' Roses and the Eagles, and countless others. This show is about artists and why they do what they do. Thank you for downloading the latest episode of the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. On this episode, I spoke with a bunch of different artists who all have sold millions of albums, but by doing very different things career-wise. All of them have been around for decades and all of them are all doing really well. And that is Dave Ellison from Megadeth, three-fourths of the band The Mavericks, and Tom Kiefer. First up is my interview with Dave Ellefson. Yes, the bassist for Megadeth. This is a really good get for the Paltrow cast. Dave isn't just resting on the laurels of being one of the co-founders of Megadeth. He has a record company, a coffee company, a film studio. He's written two books. He's done a lot of things and he keeps doing a lot of things. And I had the pleasure of speaking with him by phone largely about his collaboration with Tom Hazert, who he co-wrote two of the books with and runs a record label with. He was as nice as humanly possible. There's a lot to learn from talking with Dave Ellison, to say the least. Thank you for your time, first and foremost. And there's so many things I yeah. want to ask you about. And the first thing is the book that you wrote with Tom.
1: Did you know that you were
0: going to be writing a sequel when you were writing the first one?
1: No. I didn't. In fact, I didn't even plan on writing the first one because I thought memoirs were something you wrote when you're like 70 or 80 years old, sitting on your porch, you know, before the sun finally sets on your life. And that's when you write your memoir. Um, so to do it at that time when I was still in my forties, um, seemed out of character a bit. Um, except that, you know, I guess maybe all my friends were doing it and Joel MacGyver, who's been a dear friend, um, and really understood my life and my, um, my career path, especially I had just come back to Megadeth and there's all these big things happening in 2010 when we started writing the book. He really urged me to get moving on and I'm glad he did because I've often thought about writing a memoir and Joel largely showed me the ropes, um, to guide me with it. So, you know, here we are, what, eight, nine years later and I'm writing another one. um, And a lot had happened um, in the, you know, I guess since 2012, I guess, till, um, you know, current day. And um, so Tom actually urged to write this one. He just said, hey, let's, let's write a book. And, you know, again... I, uh, I sometimes can't see the bigger picture of my life, which is why I have friends and people around me who can. Um, and uh, one of the things he said, I said to him, I said, look, you know, a lot of this is already on the Internet. You know what I mean? Like, everybody knows we have a coffee company and a record label. Like, what what's new here? What is the news, you know? And um, I think for me, uh, you know, some life lessons, like a couple things in my book I talk about, just say yes when, when, knock, when opportunity knocks. And I think the other story that I didn't expect to unfold, but it unfolded as I was writing the book, was the story of how Combat Records and telling that whole journey, um, because it's my alma mater, it was my very first record label I was signed to with Megadeth, and it's now my most recent record label I'm signed to with my own solo album, Sleeping Giant, but it's interesting how that took me back to the beginning and the origins of Megadeth, and I got to tell that story, which is largely... An untold story in the Megadeth history,
0: right? And in a way, it can be hard to track you because we know of Dave, the musician in Megadeth. We know of Dave who does the soul albums and you know F Five and all that kind of stuff. Then there's the record company, the coffee company, the books, and then I believe there's a film company. And I don't know if everybody realizes that, yeah. that that there's this one guy doing all that stuff. I'm wondering when that entrepreneurial urge kicked in when you realized that there was more to life than music and being a musician
1: you know i think i've always had it um and i think meeting you know look I, I i just i think i've always had it you know even back in the in the early 90s when i was dealing with my endorsements you know managers never did that stuff because managers don't make commissions on that stuff at least they didn't then now they actually pay us to use instruments back then they weren't paying us they were just you know kind of working out some additional advertising and providing gear for the road and you know managers don't like to touch what they don't get paid on you know so um i but i so i was always kind of a do-it-yourself guy you know when i was a kid in minnesota i was the guy you know putting the bios and the and the promo packs together and shopping to the booking agents and i'm the one who always had the rapport with the booking agents and and, you know, as we started Megadeth, I was right there next to Dave on every conversation and every step we made, you know, I was, I was always encouraged by my father to know what is going on with your business. Don't blindly leave your business in someone else's hand. That's how you always hear about these guys, you know, and, and, and not just little guys, but big guy, Billy Joel. I mean, that story of, of what happened in his career with, you know, getting ripped off and. You know, it's happened to all of us. I mean, look, until you get ripped off a time or two, you know, you're really not in the music business, I guess. You know, the Kiss guys talk openly about it, you know, they made all this money in the 70s. And one day they said, Hey, where's all my money and realized they didn't have any, you know, and that, that'll wake you up real friggin quick, you know? So I think, I think I've always had this entrepreneurial, uh, business side to me. And, and as I look when, when Megadeth disbanded in 2002, that was very much, a rubber meets the road moment in my life where it's like, okay, band's done. Now it's time to move on to other things. And and I, I was ready to hang the bass up and no longer be a bass player ever again if it required me having to provide for my family. And what I found through that is, you know, the the good Lord or the universe or whoever you want to call that, you know, the, gave, in my case, you know, the gift of music and playing the bass. That That's a gift I've been given from birth. And, um, you know, that, that's a gift that will always be with me. And so to some capacity, I'll always be a bass player. Um, but I've really enjoyed in recent years, certainly being more than just a bass player.
0: Right. And with your record company, I think you're just about the only person on the planet that could have worked with Bumblefoot and Mark Slaughter and Chuck Mosley. And I think that goes back to that. Just say yes. Attitude for you. Is it just good music is good
1: music? You know, I got to hand a lot of that to to Tom Hazard. You know, I mean, he really has been a real partnership to me. Um, And I say that because we don't always agree on everything. And that's what real partnership is. You know, real partnership is that, you know, even Dave Mustaine and I had a saying over the years. If we both agree to the same thing, then one of us is unnecessary. (laughs) You know, you don't need a second guy to disagree with you. You know, there has to be a a push and pull because that's what creates the, the, the... it forces you into a place of thinking bigger and thinking beyond what you would normally do on your own. And that really to me is, is a true definition of partnership. So Tom and I are that guy. I mean, I, I've certainly, you know, challenged him and raised him to a new standards and in, in, in how we run our business. And, and just because of my experience that I've, you know, I've gone to the winner's circle of the Grammys. you know, I have been to the top of the heap, um, And, and, and you can't, you can't, run a business like that unless you have been, had those, those successes. Then I have been very blessed to, to have those fall my way. Um, at the same time, creatively, Tom has really been, you know, he challenges me constantly with things and and and, 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 as a result has been a tremendous partner. And I mean, look at all the things we've done between the label, the coffee company, the, the book, um, even now writing songs and putting records out together, you know? So, um, you know, he he and I are very much a part of each other's story at this at this you know juncture in our life.
0: I would compare your collaboration with Tom to what Joan Jet has with Kenny Laguna, and there's really only a handful of people who are able to work with somebody who's a co writer and a manager. Did you have anyone initially trying to tell you, hey, don't work with the guy on the creative front that's also handling the business?
1: You know, I've had a couple people, you know, look, we all have a history. You know what I mean? And and uh, I'm sure, you know, I'd like to keep my reputation as squeaky clean as I can, because you're only as good as your last gig and your last gig will will always walk you into your next gig. You know, so um, it's important that, you know, our our reputations precede us, you know, but, you know, Tom had, you know, Tom grew up in a very different record business than I do. You know, I moved to L.A. in 1983. I don't think he got to L.A. until 95, 96. So he had a very different experience in Hollywood and with the labels than I did, you know, his, his experience was with Fred Durst and Korn and, and uh, you know, kind of the new metal uh, movement that was, that was taking shape at that time. Um, you know, mine was, you know, I got there and it was Megadeth, you know, Poison, Motley Crue had just taken off. By the time I got to Capitol Records with p Cells, you know, Bob Seger, you know, had just put out Like a Rock, you know, Tina Turner was at the top of, uh, MTV, you know what I mean? So my experience, you know, I got to experience a very different, you know, record business than Tom did. And, and so with that said, you know, Tom has been really good about, you know, reframing my, you know, reference of what sells today. So because obviously record companies were in the business of selling records, you know, and selling downloads in this case, um, at the same time, you know, also, being really in tune with legacy artists like Doyle and Mark Slaughter and, you know, um, you know, Bumblefoot's kind of a legacy artist because he's had some legacy gigs with Asia and, and guns and roses and whatnot, but he's also very much a a new artist. So, you know, Tom is really good at understanding the A and R side of the business. And that that's a role that I've never been a part of. I, I, I'm a fan of music and I'm a fan of bands and I hear things I like doesn't necessarily mean that it belongs in our wheelhouse at the record company just because I like it. And
0: most people, I would argue, who are at your level in terms of commercial success, you know, still playing arenas when you do go on tour with Megadeth, most people would go, I tour and then I'm off tour and I kick back until there's an album to make. But obviously with all those companies going on, you're on email all day. So what kind of productivity system you have in place? Are you big on to-do lists and calendars, or are you just more so able to delegate?
1: You know, I think a big part of it is because I'm sober, you know, and I'm not on drugs and alcohol, and I don't sort of wind down at five o'clock. And, head to the bar for beer and tacos and then have to shake off a hangover the next day. You know what I mean? So that, that right there clears up a lot of hours of my week um, because I'm I'm able to be very focused, you know. And, it, and at my age, 54, soon to be 55 in November, you know, I'm I'm really hitting, a, I, I think, a, at a very kind of mature uh, level of, of business acumen. You know, um, and having gone to college, I'm really glad I, I did my college, got my degree back in uh, 2007 because, you know, as I sit here in a parking lot and I see Safeway or GMC or, you know, UPS or whatever, I understand how those businesses work. You know, I, at the time I was working for PV, which is a very big international musical instrument manufacturer. We did a lot of international manufacturing. It was right at the time when everything was moving from the USA over to China. So I really got to really, you know, be at the, at the, at the heart center of, of, of what has become a national, uh, transition of business here in America, you know, from things being made here in the USA to made in China. Um, and I got to really be right on them and, and doing it in, inside a, in some, an industry I enjoyed, which is the music business. You know, uh, what's the difference between a guitar made in America and a guitar made in China? I got to hold them both in my hand and really see the products and price points and understand from the sales and marketing team and the engineering and stuff. So, I mean, I think those experiences I had you know, over a decade ago, really, I, they've really played into everything that I do now um, in my businesses away from the stage um, to really help understand all of that, you know, but and, and I guess probably look more specifically to your question, you know, this week has been music week, you know, I'm, I'm ramping up for the Mega Cruise next week, um, so it's been about just kind of getting my head back into those songs that I'm going to be doing on the boat. Um, I'm obviously preparing for a big event with KK Downing over in the UK. So I'm well, well entrenched in Judas Priest world, which has, uh, been a ton of fun. Um, and then at the same time, I have a big Latin America bass story tour coming up. So I'm, you know, being just kind of mentally preparing for what that's going to be day to day because every day I fly putting a new band together and hitting the stage, you know, and fortunately, I had that experience previously. Not only doing Bay Story, but back in the 2000s when I worked for the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp, I learned how to put a band together in a, in a couple hours and take it on stage and rock the house, you know. So I think my life today is, a, is an accumulation of all of the different experiences that I've had.
0: Wow. Well, two more questions, and then you're a free man. And the first one is, I've read that you live in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And as somebody who's toured the world many places over, assuming that you're still in Green Bay, what is it that made you move there of all
1: places? Well, actually, Tom Hazert lives in Green Bay. Um, I live in in Scottsdale, Arizona. I've been out here for about 26 years. I moved. uh, My transition is I grew up in Minnesota. I grew up on a farm in Minnesota, Jackson, Minnesota. So so that's, I think, a kindred spirit that Tom and I both uh, share, is we're both small town Midwest kids, you know, who had a hankering for rock and roll. We both moved to Hollywood, at, obviously at, at different time, at different decades. Um, Tom's about 10 years younger than me. Um, but we, you know, we share a similar path and a similar passion, you know? So yeah, he lives in, in Green Bay, I actually did a base story in Green Bay, and I got to tell you, what an awesome town. Um, it's, I'm a Vikings fan, so, you know, by nature, I'm probably supposed to be a little opposed to Green Bay, but <laughs>
2: right. I went
1: and I saw Lambeau Field, and uh, I, I love Green Bay. I thought it was awesome. We did a book signing at Barnes & Noble and had a great show, and, um, you know, small little t- You know, it's funny. You can get anywhere in 10 minutes in Green Bay, whereas in Phoenix, it takes you 20 minutes, and if you live in L.A., it's about an hour
0: Right. Absolutely. So in closing, Dave, any last words for the kids?
1: You know, just thank you to everybody who supported me over all the years, all the music, of course. Um, You know, I love the I love the saying. I don't know if it was Picasso or who came up with it. But, you know, it's it's not uh, something to the effect that, you know, it's not that I'm supposed to live forever, but trying to create art, music, business legacy that does live forever. You know and i think through all these things that i that i'm doing you know i try to do them with a heart center to help other people and lift them up and and put them make them be the focus rather than me and i think maybe that's a fundamental role as a bass player you know i think usually as a bass player we're the guy who um is often a little to the side but we're supportive of the other people in the band because as the band survives and as the band thrives so do i next up is my early november
0: chat with three fourths of the band The Mavericks, who've been at it for 30 years, hence this 30th anniversary tour that they've got going on around the world. The latest album from the band is Sing The Hits. It's a covers album, but all the songs are done in a style that you would kind of expect from The Mavericks. That band has never played by the rules. They've always spanned different genres, show different influences. And we spoke about that during our chat. We spoke about future plans, all sorts of things. And this talk is with Eddie Perez, Paul Deacon, and Jerry Dale McFadden. Raul missed the chat, but we spoke about everything afterwards in person. Raul, fun fact, is a David Lee Roth fan. Um, So when I allude to the fact that David Lee Roth had a Spanish album called Sonrisa Salvaje, which I recommend everyone to listen to, that was discussed after the microphone was turned off. I think you're going to enjoy this chat with three fourths of the Mavericks, and hopefully you'll be able to see them pretty soon on that 30th anniversary world tour. So the new record is a covers record. Was it known from the get-go that this was going to be a covers record, and not original album? Oh, absolutely,
3: absolutely. That is the whole premise of, of us doing it. Um, and you know, after 30 years of Never having done one, not going really to do it. You Now's now the time.
4: Otherwise, when will we do it? it sure. Yes, it, it kind of went hand in hand with um, celebrating our 30th anniversary of the band. Like, let's 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 pull out some songs that uh, it, thank that you influenced us or uh, inspired us to play music and uh, t- inspire us even today. So it kind of. Went hand in hand with uh, the 30th, 30th anniversary
0: celebration. So, well, when you're picking songs for a covers album or songs to cover uh, in general, there's sometimes that fear of, well, some band's done it before. Like you have "Don't Be Cruel" on the record, which Cheap Trick made into a hit in a totally different way. Did you guys have any fear, like, oh, well, it's been done before, or do the Mavericks just keep doing their own thing the way they always have?
3: I would, I would say the latter. <laughs> you know. Uh... I think that, well a couple things, one, this is a band of audiophiles and I I figured it out and we listen to way more music than we actually play on on show day, on show day as well. You know, we're up there for two, two and a half to three hours, whatever we are, it's a significant amount of time, but there's hours before we go on and usually hours after that we are listening to music and celebrating music and doing that so it's uh as i said a band of audio files and um, that's where our inspiration is from so there's always you know it comes up all the time man we should cover this we should do this sure and sometimes we'll do it in soundcheck and sometimes it makes it way into uh into a set as some of these on the record and then some of them we've, we've just always talked about and, uh there's an idea and hey let's pull this one out and do that so now, but, oh, know, go ahead, just, Eddie.
5: Just to add to that little quick, quick final note, is that above all, though, the songs of whatever it is that he's chosen usually has to resonate with some emotional consistency from the raw you know, and He's going to be putting forth that energy. Right. Uh, so that's kind of you know, all of that in the show, I guess. is sure. A lot of the times it's like, you know, you kind of feel screwed at something, and then the band just kind of <clears throat> falls
0: right into place somehow. you know, so it's just kind of like that. Sure. Yeah.
3: As far as somebody else having done, I mean, the other thing, other than being audiophiles, is we're basically selfish. <laughs> and so we, uh, and it, it's kind of worked for us. And we please ourselves and musically. Uh, it's good uh, when we record, and that carries over in the live show, which is where we, yeah, have, have a good time. So that seems to be working. This uh, self gratification, it seems to be moving into the audience and, and to where we do what we do best.
0: Right. Well, I'm going to come back to that in a second, but the first thing I said when I met Eddie was I know that he had his kiss, Ace freely passed to him. Was there almost like a hard rock song along the lines of, of a kisser or Van Halen that almost made the
3: cut for this record? Well, not and, on, on, on the hard rock, not on... Uh, we, we covered a Motley Crew song on a, on a Motley Crue trip, but, uh, I'm very much a different version. Right. Um, I, don't, I,
4: don't, I can't remember this. anyone coming up as a possibility.
5: Well, there again, too, though, you know, Raul, he, he uh, you know, these songs really have to have some emotional resonance with him. First, you know, he's, again, he's putting that energy forward, singing the songs, he's out in front of right, everybody. Um, and <clears throat> his tastes tend to come more in certain genres and certain styles in certain decades you know? right um i guess the real hard rock stuff would probably be my taste from where i come from which is right. you know 70s 60s and 70s rock and roll and that's kind of all together we we bring something different and individual at the same time all mm-hmm. together you know and uh, some of the songs get a little a little ruckus going on you know but but in general, I think that uh, Raul, uh, he, uh, you know, he always picks great songs, let's just face it. You know? Of and anything, course. And anything he things is going to be pretty fantastic, you know. Uh, and I think the luxury of this moment for us with a record like this is that in the way in which we, uh, you know, pursue our business, um, which is very self-contained, we are able to just operate in a way where Paul is, you know, articulating that we... You know, mostly selfishly, just kind of set our ship, you know, to a certain course, and we just kind of follow the line, and it seems to usually work out all right for us, you know. So sometimes I think that, it's planned but, out, sometimes
3: it's, it's I, not at all. Yeah, but I think <laughs> yeah I, it just I,
5: happens. But I think more importantly, what's what what's what's in the record is just a lot of good energy. You know, we spent mm-hmm. a lot of years together making music and traveling a lot of miles. And, and uh i think that after all this time we still have a really great energy and i think and that it comes through in that music
0: definitely agreed and when the mavericks first came on the market you were kind of like the music critics enemy in a way where they couldn't control you you weren't following any of the rules almost like the replacements were to that sort of indie rock genre and then you guys transcended genres over and over and over again became your own thing I'm curious when the media finally turned around and started being okay and fair.
3: Well, I mean especially in today's world, it's okay to be trans job. Right? Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see what he did there, but what he's saying is <laughs> we have our own math. Um, now, um, and again, that probably goes back a little bit to the pleasing yourself and not putting those restrictions and it gets we more and more able to do that however i mean i only remember i think even we've been fortunate in the labels that we've been with really even back to mca mm-hmm. i mean very little uh restrictions were we ever put on us music i mean to the point they gave us free reign to, to the extent where when we did trampoline and put horns and mm-hmm. really started cross pollinating uh, Genres, um, it didn't work in the country field, and at that time in the '90s, you were really stuck in whatever bin you were in, whether it was country, rock, R&B, or jazz, or whatever. Mm-hmm. There wasn't, it wasn't. You know, even though in some ways, music has gotten uh, playlists have gotten smaller with radio and everything else, but music is allowed to flow from one genre to another. It's not as quite as specific. But luckily that that, uh, that record did well in the UK, as a so that kind of changed things for us as well. So, yeah. so, so tying
0: it all with the 30th anniversary, a lot of bands when they hit that 30th anniversary, they're old. You guys don't come across as old, out of ideas, anything like that. So it's feasible that you're going to get to 40, 50, 60, you know, that kind of thing. Most likely. Hopefully, yes. So are there any things you haven't yet accomplished that you're still hoping to?
5: Absolutely.
4: Um, uh, uh, we, I mean, we've even got stuff that's brewing now that nobody knows about. Like for instance, uh, we've, we've just completed a, a record of all songs sung in Spanish, uh, which uh, will, will come out probably third quarter of next year. Um, uh, it, it'll, throw some folks, uh, you know, be surprising to some people that we do something so bold as that. But, right. uh, uh though we're excited about maybe reaching, that music reaching uh, a broader audience, maybe looking forward to going to South America and, and Mexico and, and taking the band down there and, and, and
5: bringing
3: Markets. Yeah, of course yeah, yeah, so that's,
5: that's the biggest thing I think that we're all excited about you know there's there's bigger outer line opportunities that we're pursuing at the moment too you know and so I think the band's at a certain point now uh, since we got back together this this phase of the band mm-hmm. uh, we're now in a different area in terms of what we're trying to accomplish the next four or five years whatever that is You know, backwards from there but mm-hmm. uh, yeah I would say that so the, the Spanish record that we're getting ready to you know, put out there is is uh, something that <clears throat> because our business, uh, the core of our business is the live business, mm-hmm. so of course we're trying to see where, where haven't we been yet, where haven't we, you know, I'd love to get a chance to go out to Japan and mm-hmm. take the band, we've never done that, you know, um, so there's so many other things still left to do, you know, and in some respect, for me, sometimes it feels like there's not enough time to do all of it, you right. know?
3: But it's actually it, nice with uh, finishing up this tour uh, uh, next weekend, it's our last week, and then we're taking some time off. we we'll call it our off-season to, to get fixed up. Rollo uh, has to have some work done on his ankle. I have to carpal tunnel surgery, so we'll, we'll take some months off, but I'm excited about the time that we'll be able to plan. We've already started part of this trip with us to recap what we've done this year and next year and beyond and there's a lot of things business-wise that we're that we're conquering you know we've had our own label now for three years and mm-hmm. um, so we're just i think early this next year we will have our first uh, uh record out that's not us on okay uh, that's very the sweet lizzie project which is a band from cuba that we've uh, brought here, which is pretty pretty amazing. Um, and so expanding that, and continuing to look for music for that, um, we talk about business things like uh, creating a festival, namely uh, the label. I know the yes. We do more than like so rather than the maverick festival. I mean, at some point we love to have the concept. We've always talked about the concept of the
0: there were a so sixth man or something like that. Yeah,
3: that's right, a right. You know those business aspects and other things that we look to, to, to expand things and uh, allow us the musical freedom that we believe that us having makes it desirable for people. So this is not that
0: 30th anniversary of we're going to play our best album and then disappear and come back for the 35th or the 40th. This is, this is the cottage oh, no. industry done well. So speaking of the Spanish album, have you ever heard the David Lee Roth Spanish album?
4: No. What?
0: How is that
3: possible? Uh, right. I'll tell
0: you more about that one off
3: Blowing my mind. Blowing my mind.
0: Someone's got to be, but also yeah, into the Mavericks. Yeah. So, uh, in closing, any last words for the kids? <laughs> Do your homework. <laughs> I was gonna say,
4: I hope my son is asleep right now. <laughs> way past his bedtime. Good night, Neil.
5: <laughs> well, I guess if I had anything to say uh, to all the kids out there that might be listening, hopefully they are, but, uh, you know, if you're going to find yourself in a situation where you think you want to pursue uh, you know, career this, in this business, not only do you have to be tenacious, but you have to be patient, and you have to really be genuine with what it is you're trying to put forth. Uh, you know, this band has never tried to do one thing or the other. It's always just allowed the creative energy just to happen. But in doing so, it's been a most, most fulfilling musical experience I've ever had in my life. And we all have been doing this for a very long time. <laughs> all done Collectively <laughs> and separately, you know. Yes. But the way in which we operate, it comes down to that we're very genuine about what we do. And I think that's... That's how you can sustain that energy mm-hmm. for 35, 36, 80, whatever it is, you know? But I think that we have somehow found a way to do that through the music and through all of us, you know, being great friends. So, um, I guess that's my advice, you know, just make sure what you're doing, just have to really love it because uh, it's an awful lot of work you have that it takes to put it out there, awful lot, you know? You
2: damn uh, No, I
3: mean, <laughs> I can't follow that you Perez put it perfectly. Perseverance. Perseverance, tenacity. Never give up.
5: <laughs> but it has, I it has to be genuine, too. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. has to be real. But it come from the heart. I mean, every, you know, for me, it's like, no matter what song we play as a band up there on stage, I feel like they're all greatness, you know? And, I've, and I put every bit of my emotional energy into it in the best way I possibly can. Sure. And when you consider that we do that on a consistent basis, Hundred plus times a year (laughs) every year um, stop. That's a testament to the music and how it resonates with us. Mm -hmm. It has to be real, has to be shaping. It has to be something you believe in.
3: You know. I would add, you know, even and it's it's the same things in a different way. I mean you can put it to really anything. It's a work ethic. Mm -hmm. Anything worth doing is worth doing well. So do it to the best of your ability and enjoy it in the moment while you're doing it. And that really, and don't expect there to be a reward. Fame is not a reward. Mm -hmm. uh, Success, you know, the reward, honestly, the one that you should be cognizant of is the fact that you have this ability to create music and create it in that way and have that outline. That's your gift right there. Everything else is great. So
0: enjoy that. Last, and definitely not least, is my talk with Tom Kiefer. I spoke with Tom a couple of months ago by phone. Tom may be best known as the singer and primary songwriter of the band Cinderella, but he's been very active as a solo artist. He's definitely not looking to the past, definitely pushing things forward. The latest album by the Tom Kiefer band is Rise. It definitely shows off his voice. And people have always loved that about Tom, that he's able to hit all these high notes and have this real blues rock kind of scream to his vocals. And not everyone realizes that he's lost his voice a few times over the years. So I asked Tom about his vocal journey, which is actually very serious and hopefully it shows you the hard work that he puts into his career to stay where he is and to keep pushing forward. We also spoke about his family life, which is pretty interesting as well. So hope you enjoy the chat. Hey, Dan,
2: it's Tom Kiefer.
0: Right on time. How's it going there, Tom? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I am doing excellent. Long time fan. And of course, I want to ask you about the new record. But before I get to that, the podcast episode that you did with, uh, I believe it was Ralph Sudden, was very interesting in that you opened up about your journey through vocal paralysis and back into getting your voice back. And one thing I didn't hear on that is, what is it that you do these days to keep your voice sounding great and
2: healthy? There's a lot of facets to that. Um, One of which is whether you have a paresis or not, singing is, you know, your overall health is important. So before I even had that condition, I've been very health conscious in terms of diet and hydrating on on tour is very important and proper rest. So that's still part of the regimen. But the thing that really keeps the the paresis in check and actually got me out of that hole which the hole was you're never going to sing again is uh i learned opera technique i started working with ron anderson who teaches the opera technique and i'd worked with a gazillion vocal coaches before that um which i I learned bits and pieces from but but ron's the technique i learned from him just really kind of saved my voice is what i say. he really kind of you know, taught me how to support and make the most of what I had left, I guess, if that makes sense. So long story short, that technique is something that I do every day. It's like an exercise regimen, if you will, for the, for the vocal cords and the, and the core of your body, where the breathing comes from and the support. And it's a pretty specific um, set of coordinations that, you know, Move the air the right way in the vocal cords, and you know it's it's complicated. It's taken me years to really kind of understand it. I started working with him in two thousand nine, and since uh, since then my voice has been getting better and better and better every every day from from the first lesson with him. So, and that's something you know, I do like an hour of, of his warm ups before every show, and then there's a. minute cool down after the show that's very important because it kind of stretches the vocal cords back out and kind of calms them down.
0: It's interesting to me that that's not the first major thing you've overcome. And I say that because you talked about in past interviews, people saying you're not going to sing again, let alone the way that you did. And that's not your first major victory. I would say earning a living as a musician when you were a teenager is of course a big deal. Getting a big record deal like you did Having those hits over the years—that's another journey—and also surviving grunge and the the rock overhaul of the early nineties—that's another obstacle. So it looks like the the life of Tom Keither has been obstacle after obstacle. And I'm wondering how much of that is planning versus just you know luck.
2: Um, I call it life, and I don't think my story is unique. I think everyone who walks this planet um, wakes up every day and, and they're faced with challenges um you know someone could wake up and lose their job tomorrow you know or you know i mean or to find out that they have some horrible illness Uh, i mean it it happens to everybody um mine have been publicized so you know so maybe it seems more intense but i I don't think i'm going through anything different than anyone else's in life i mean i know there's people all around me that i know who just are facing challenges every day so you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, when we, the, the new single, the death of me, when we created the video, we, we came up with that idea of putting uh, by way of example, some of the things that I've been through, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the things you mentioned aren't even in there, <laughs> um, but they were certain there's only so much time we had in that intro, but, um, you know, the voice stuff and the legal battles that I've had with the industry a couple of times over records that have gotten in the way and some medical other medical issues and hospitalizations from heat exhaustion and just stuff that really recently have been challenges for me. And, uh, you know, then I smash them with a guitar. And the thought there was, you know, uh, know, to inspire people to, to visualize their own challenges and to destroy them you know, um, in their mind. Uh, The power of visualization is very, um, very powerful thing to do. And I got to tell you, when I took the guitar to that TV, it really, really felt good. So I encourage anyone watching that video to, like I said, my story on that TV screen is just one example. It's just mine. But everyone out there has those things, you know, and Put put the face of your challenges and problems on that TV and imagine destroying them.
0: And Rise is the new album, and just like The Way Life Goes, the album before that, you wrote it with your wife Savannah. What was the first song or experience that you had writing together? Did you know all along when you were dating before you got married that you would be writing music together?
2: Um, it's just something that happened naturally. I mean, I've, I've known Savannah for, for years and years and years, and she's an amazing songwriter. She was actually in Nashville prior to me moving here and was a staff writer at Sony and also had an artist deal, um, that they were developing her for a record and that deal kind of went south. So she and I can relate to the lawsuit and the legal things. (laughs) Um, so we have, we bond on that, um, it's tough business out there. But, um, no, she's an incredible writer. And, uh, you know, before we even made The Way Life Goes, uh, she and I wrote stuff together, um, some stuff for some of her artist stuff that that I just mentioned and uh, with other artists in town. We had a, a song on Mandy Grip's record, Freedom, called 100 Miles of bad road that we wrote with him. So, you know, we've been working together for a long time. And The Way Life Goes was a situation where I was on the heels of a a lawsuit situation that prevented, um, really uh, shelved a uh, permanently a, a record for Cinderella that was with a with a major label and uh, kind of prevented us from recording uh, to a certain extent for a number of years. So in that time period, Savannah and I really started working together because she was kind of on the heels of the same thing with her deal. And we really went out. And and started writing and recording songs that we loved just purely for the love of music because we didn't there was no label involved. There wasn't and you know, there was no one telling us what you know, you have to be done by this day and we're gonna release it and all that. So we worked with session players to create the way life goes and weren't really even thinking of it as a record till maybe about halfway through, you know. I mean, we worked on it like for nine years off and on. Um, and at one point kind of looked at each other and thought, man, this this could be a record. So we got a record deal for it pretty quickly when we started, you know, running it up the flagpole. And uh, the next thing we you know, it was like the record label was saying, we're releasing it. You need to go tour. And I was like, whew, we need a band. <laughs> so that's what brings us to where we are now. You know, the band was formed and uh, day one had a great energy and we have been touring for six years out there and last year decided it was time to make a record and uh, so in answer to your original question I mean, i've been working with savannah for years uh, you know even, even before the way life goes so um you know it's a it's a good partnership um in terms of the music and the writing because we we really kind of approach it from um very similar places so it's a very very easy fit in terms of writing and creating together
0: and is the long-term plan to be out there as tom kiefer doing tom kiefer records for the rest of your life
2: you know this this has really become a band uh, the new record was recorded exclusively with this band there's not a an outside musician on it we cut it for the most part live i mean because we've been touring so much So, you know, before we even made this record, what kind of led to it being a band was the initial chemistry that we felt in the room the first night when we rehearsed. And then we started out, went out and started doing dates and the fans kind of recognized that energy. And I was happy about that because I didn't really want to be a solo artist. Um, All my heroes and Musicians that I looked up to were part of bands like the Rolling Stones and Zeppelin and Bad Company and Skinner, you know, and everyone was just kind of part of the gang, and that's what I've always aspired to be—is to be part of a band. So, it—it it was refreshing to me when we first went out and started touring that the fans recognized that there was a band chemistry, and they were talking as much about the band and the energy of the show and the whole thing as uh, you know as much if not more than than me, and and that I, I like that. Um, and then they eventually, the fans, the, the hashtag Kiefer band came from the fans online on Twitter and on Facebook, they started, you know, they would post things or comments and they would, they would put that hashtag and it kind of stuck with us, but uh, yeah, I mean, to me, it feels more like a band. So when you say to continue with making Tom Kiefer records to me now, they're Kiefer band records. Um, I'm just a. The Ringleader, I guess, is how I feel about it now, but yeah, that's the plan moving forward. We love touring together. The band's really become a family, and uh, we want to obviously just release the record, so we're not really thinking about another record at this point, but I'm sure you know at some point there will be one, but we're right now we're just enjoying uh, the release of this one and out touring and we'll we'll see where where the life's journey leads us next.
0: And something I've noticed is that most of the musicians that you toured with in the 80s and 90s seem to have moved to Nashville to the point that it looks like the whole L.A. metal scene and hard rock scene moved to Nashville. Do you see a lot of people there from, you know, the olden days? Well, I know there's a lot here, and
2: on occasion, yes. um, But I'll be honest with you, we're we're so busy between making records, touring, and then, you know, we have a, a teenage son who plays sports and i mean you know we don't we're not really out hanging out much like in clubs or stuff but you know occasionally run into people but yeah i mean there's there's a ton of musicians who have moved here from the rock scene and um, i moved here in 97 uh, the town's changed quite a, a bit since then um i think more and more people uh, particularly recently are really gravitating more. so it's a great uh it's a great place to create um I moved here like in the mid to later 90s um, with the whole uh, music scene changing at that time. Um, Cinderella had kind of fallen apart because we lost our deal and just were going our separate ways at that time. Uh, and that's when I first started thinking about maybe doing some stuff on my own. So started writing with some people here and really like the vibe here. Um, amazing writers, Everywhere you go, amazing musicians, studios. So it was a a nice shot in the arm to come into a a town that just had so much creative energy.
0: Well, you mentioned your son is busy with sports a lot. People usually either gravitate towards what their father does for a living or get as far away as possible. Does he have any musical influences or musical impulses, you think?
2: Hey, when he was uh, very young, he's he's actually very musical. He sings really well. He was when he was, you know, could barely walk. He could sit behind this little set of drums that we had for him and, and keep beats. He, he used to play to like Aerosmith records, and uh, we actually have memories of him sitting playing the backbeat to Back in the Saddle and actually screaming at the top of his lungs on back, like with that with that same kind of tone. So. Um he's always been very talented in that way. He early in his earlier school years he took sax and played saxophone, he played piano, but there was a, he's always been into sports too, and as he got older he just gravitated more that way even though he has he has a ton of musical ability. Um he's just sports is his thing and he kind of he kind of knew that from an early age and his, it's just been his passion.
0: And has living in Nashville for the past 20 or so years turned you into a volunteer referring to the football team, to the football team. I didn't know if all those years outside of Philadelphia and South Jersey, if uh, you went away from the Phillies and became a volunteer.
2: No, 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 not 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 so much. No.
0: (laughs) Got it. So uh, in closing, Tom, any last
2: words for the kids? Just looking forward to getting out and playing some more rock and roll for everybody. We've got some more dates coming up and, um, that's it. New record out and check it out if you haven't already. Uh, rise.
0: Thanks for listening to the Paltrocast with Darren Paltrowitz on the Pure Grain Audio Network. More information on the Paltrocast can be found online at www.puregrainaudio.com. Until next time, have a great Shabbos.